0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 548 with Davina Stanley. Davina's going to share how to get super clear with your communications. You'll learn one why so many presentations miss the mark, two, the three-step so what strategy, and three, seven storyline patterns and when to use them in your presentations. So if you wanna check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F548. And here's Davida's story. Davida Stanley has helped professionals communicate complex ideas clearly for more than 20 years. She offers a structured go-to process that helps people think through their messaging So their good ideas get the traction they deserve. She started coaching others when she joined McKinsey's Hong Kong office as a communication specialist and has continued to help professionals of all stripes across many countries since then. More recently, she, along with her business partner, have published their first book, The So What Strategy, which offers the seven most commonly used storyline patterns they see professionals use at work. Davina is about to ease your communication worries, and our sponsor, Care.com, can ease the worries associated with caring for your children and your home. Most working parents worry about their kids every minute of the day, but you can be much more at ease and more focused at work to be awesome at your job when you know your kids, your parents, your pets, and your home are well cared for. Care.com provides a platform for finding all kinds of family care services. They've got the largest selection of local caregivers and easy ways to find, manage, and pay for that care. They've got ample tools and information to guide families through the hiring process, from reviews and more. I have found tons of caregivers on care.com right in my zip code, so you can find a good fit quickly with that many options. Their platform is easy and beautiful. You've got a whole lot of opportunities to segment and filter for what you're trying to zero in on. And when you upgrade to a premium membership, you unlock messaging with caregivers including their private calling feature, access to background check options, and more. I have a premium Care.com membership, and I encourage you to get one too. To save 30% off of a Care.com premium membership, go to care.com slash awesome. That's care.com slash awesome to save 30% off. Davina, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: My pleasure, Pete. Lovely to be with you.
1: Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom, and but first I wanted to hear a bit. Your career has had some interesting turns, and it started... With potato farming in Australia, what's the story here?
2: It did. I grew up on a potato farm actually and, um, in the country. And the beauty of that is that you have to constantly solve problems without having the resources that you need. And so, um, it was just a really great, a really great place to grow up, but a really, um, big contrast to where I ended up. So I ended up marrying someone who wanted to live overseas and he wanted to be a banker. So we lived in Hong Kong, New York, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and then back to Australia again. So we have been not quite everywhere, but a lot of places, which is, you know, quite different to the sort of life that I started out with. So fun. Well, if
1: you live on a potato farm, does that mean you eat potatoes all the time? Because I love potatoes.
2: Well, at the moment I do too, but I'm a bit conflicted because at the moment I I don't eat a lot of carb at all. Mm. So... I don't know. I haven't told my dad that though. I think he'd be thoroughly mortified. (laughs) I think he'd be
1: devastated. We'll make sure he doesn't listen. (laughs) We
2: we grew up on a diet of Sunday nights testing the load before it went to the the potato chip factory. So dinner on a Mm -hmm. Sunday night, particularly during winter, was potato chips and donuts because you had the oil out, right? So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit different to what I do now Potato chips and donuts Jam donuts <laughs> Oh man As a child
1: <laughs> As a child it's a dream come true
2: <laughs> <laughs> We thought that We thought that We just had to look At the potatoes And you know the chips And make sure or fries you probably call them And make sure that there was no green or black bits Just that just, there was too much sugar in them That was our job Oh interesting Okay Test them You see that was the whole point It was. It was not just you know cheap food or bribery for the children. It was actually, there was a method, yeah. Mm -hmm. Are they still good to send to the factory?
1: Certainly. Oh, that's cool and that's fun. And um, I remain a huge potato enthusiast as well as a communications enthusiast, which is your cup of tea nowadays and really for more than 20 years here. So Mm -hmm. you worked at McKinsey as a communications specialist. Can you tell us what does that mean and what are you doing now?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So as a communications specialist, my job was to be all across a technique called structured thinking that we used in particularly in our role in a communication setting. So we used a very structured approach to either help consultants come up with the stories that they needed to tell their clients. Perhaps it was an update. Perhaps it was the strategy at the end of a piece of communication or also when working directly with clients, we would sometimes go in and be embedded in a team and work with a client to develop a communication strategy. So we would be do- using those techniques. Thanks. To help um, consultants engage and and really communicate complex information um, to to any kind of audience that they needed to communicate to, so we were internal consultants to the consultants, really. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Consulting consultants on how to consult.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit, a little bit, exactly. And look, it was really fun. It was really challenging. And so I, I worked there for a few years in the Hong Kong office, and then uh, my husband and I moved to New York, and I was offered a full time position there, but it was full time or no time. And I was I arrived six months pregnant with mm-hmm. a one-year-old on my hip. So I decided maybe that was a good time to take a break. So I took a bit of a break and we renovated a house and, and so on. And then when we moved further on in our adventure, I, I just freelanced for the firm for a long time. And I was helping, you know, run training sessions. I worked for the marketing practice. I did a whole lot of things, anything where I could help the teams or the firm in in terms of communication. So I I kept doing that and I've just sort of gradually built it as my family's grown older and I've had more freedom, I've built it into something larger.
1: Well, that that is fascinating. And I wanna hear when it comes to, you know, McKinsey consultants are amongst the smartest professionals in their way or our way. I'm a former Bainie, so you yeah. know, we share some, uh, we some do. of the brain We do. We share parts. a bit of a passion uh, <laughs> here, around
2: the structure, I think.
1: But I'd love to hear from you. So given that, so even super smart folks, what communications mistakes did you see that they made repeatedly? Like you could just bank on, okay, we're going to have to fix A, B, and C.
2: All right. There's a few things. I think firstly, it's spending a lot of time on the analysis and you should spend a lot of time on the analysis, but leaving that a bit too long and allowing too little time to prepare the communication so that there's the risk that all these great ideas you've got don't translate to the audience. So finding mm-hmm. a way to um, perhaps marry the analysis together with the communication planning or just allow a bit more time to really think through the messaging and synthesize. So I think anyone who's really close to something, smart people or not, um, struggle to get just a bit of separation from it so that they can perhaps get up in the helicopter and see what really mm-hmm. matters here. So I think that's that's one thing. And I think, um, again, it, in this I see at McKinsey, I see it in other places too, where people are a bit inclined to overemphasize the analysis and underemphasize the communication. So similar thing, but it's just about, well, what do I think really matters? Actually forgetting that the communication matters quite a bit. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And so then, you've sort of captured many of your ideas in your book, the "so what" strategy. And what does that mean, the "so what" strategy?
2: So I think we heard so many of our clients, were the people that we work with, saying things like, "You know, I, I presented to the leadership team, and I had, you know, I had prepared so hard, and I'd rehearsed, and I, I was so organized, I'd really invested in it, and I, I went and I presented, and." Then at the very end, the CEO or the leader turned around and said, um, well, so, so are we, are we in good shape? Or so what, what's the main thing here? Yeah. And they just got lost in all of the detail. And I think there's something there that, um, you know, we saw happening time and time again and people just didn't really know how to go about distilling the messages. And yet. When Jared, my business partner, and I would work on something together, um, we'd be listening to someone telling us their story. And we we were talking with each other and we realized, well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, it's that one or it's that one. It's, it's this pattern. It, it looks like that or it looks like that. It's pretty quick for us to come up with a skeleton. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, perhaps a way we can really help people is – simplify the the structured communication discipline, the rules, like put it into a process that we naturally use because we've just done it for so long. And um, when we sat down and worked through them all, we thought, well, it looks to us like there's about seven patterns that we see being used most commonly in um, the business communication that we work in. And when I say business, I mean professional, it could be consulting, it could be business, it could be government.
1: I see. Well, so then we've got seven different common storyline patterns. And then you say there's also a process. So maybe can we hear the process first mm. and then learn a bit about what are those patterns? Mm,
2: sure. So um, we talk about a three-phase process. First of all, design your strategy. Secondly, develop your storyline. And then thirdly, deliver your communication. So most people jump straight to the deliver piece. How can I write that PowerPoint? How can I build those charts? How can I write the paper? So we're saying, hang on, let's become more conscious and structured in the steps that come before that. And so design your strategy is all about being really clear about your purpose for this particular piece of communication and getting really dialed in as to what specifically you want from a particular piece of communication and then understand your audience. Well, that's, you know, Let's go appropriately deep. You know, if it's an email, you're not going to go as deep as you are. If it is, you know, a a let's say an emergers pitch or something. Um so it is scalable, but you're going to go quite deep in understanding who your audience is and and what their hot buttons are and really get into understanding them very well. Um, So you bring those together and then think also about your process, you know, who do you need to involve in the process of engaging other stakeholders in your journey. So you've you've got that sort of set before you start. And then once you're fairly clear on that, you may iterate back, but fairly clear on that, then it's time to start mapping out your storyline. And um, we've built on an an approach that I think you'd be familiar with, the pyramid principle, which was um, developed by at McKinsey by a woman called Barbara Minto. And we've taken what she's got there and said, okay, how do we make this really practical and easy for people to use? And we've altered the language a bit to really help people um, work out what the elements are for an introduction. And interestingly, you know, the strategy and then the introduction, which might only be a couple of lines in your whole communication, can take quite a big proportion of the amount of time it takes to prepare the whole thing. But you're sort of leading to that single question you want your audience to ask and then working out what that answer is and you're stating that in a sentence. So when I was talking about people getting stuck in the detail, you know, they very rarely have that single message that they need to convey and they even less regularly have that next layer below it, which we describe as being a grouping of ideas, either as, as a list or structured using, you know, deductive logic. So there's some rules and some principles and we've built a 10-point test to help people evaluate whether their ideas fit in the right place. Um, We're just very strong believers that if the the thinking is clear, if the synthesis is strong, then you'll engage, even if you're not very confident or your charts aren't beautiful or your prose isn't perfect. If your thinking's really clear and you can synthesise your message, it's, it's really powerful. So we encourage people to map that out on a single page. And um, in a particularly structured way, use that to test, you know, with stakeholders, what the thinking is at the high level um, before you build anything, which changes the dynamic in the workflow and and the stakeholder engagement um, quite substantially and reduces the rework. Because by the time you go to prepare your communication in that last stage of delivering your communication, um, so much of the work is done. It's actually really fast to prepare mm-hmm. whatever it is that you need to prepare. So. It's about being really intentional about that. Those three steps, we draw them in a triangle because we think they're iterative and it, you know, it's a storyline. It's a shape like a triangle. Um, just, um, to help people have a a process to use themselves, but also when they're collaborating. Right.
1: Yeah. So while you're on your one page at the top, we have the question we want them to be asking and then the answer to that question.
2: We have even a tiny bit before that. We have the introduction, which we call the context and the trigger. Mm -hmm. And that leads to that single question and then the main message and then the supporting argument underneath, yeah.
1: Okay. And so then do you have a a particular recommendation in terms of just how many supporting arguments Mm -hmm. do you want? Is there Mm -hmm. too few, too many? What do you say?
2: Absolutely. Two to five. Okay. So never just one. Otherwise, you've just got one point. So... There's nothing, there's, you know, one dot point, never do that, don't do that, but no more than five if you can possibly help it. And if you are using a deductive structure, then it shouldn't be more than three.
1: Now, deductive, can you define that for listeners?
2: Mm. So it's a way of building a case. So it allows you to put forward your reasoning in classic logic language with a major premise followed by a minor premise, something that comments on the original point, that together those two points, the first two, lead you to the third one, which will be, therefore we should do something. And here's the set mm-hmm. of things we should do. So you're always building a case towards a set of actions. And so that's enormously powerful when you've got to persuade people that a set of actions is the right set of actions to take, like a business case, or um, we need to change their mind about something and get them to act in the same engagement.
1: Okay. Well, so could you maybe give us an example of where we've sort of affixed these terms, these concepts, these labels mm. to some actual verbiage? Or argument, bullet points Mm -hmm. that, uh, so we could sort of see how it all goes together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, perhaps if we talk about options stories because people in you know professionals are often needing to put forward a set of options in terms of the way something might be handled so let's say there's um, a new computer system needs to be um, installed and there might be a few different ways in which that could be done and um, somebody has has a view in mind that um, a particular path maybe using a particular external vendor is, is the way to go but at the same time they know that the leadership wants to see evidence that they've really considered a range of different ways of doing this and they want to see their reasoning um, before they actually go and agree that this external vendor is, is the right right way to go So we'd be using what we call um, a to be or not to be pattern most likely which is a deductive one we've tried to give the patterns names so they're memorable memorable mm-hmm. rather than just being you know deductive, options deductive or something. Um, so, to be or not to be. Um, so, your main thought there would be um, that that big idea that overarches all of it would be, let's hire a vendor X to to install this system over the next six months or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then the first point, the first of those three points that sits underneath might be something like, look, we've looked at a whole lot of different ways that we might implement this software system, and then you'd be going in and saying, well, we decided to um, investigate Vendor X because they know our business really well and they're not trusted by us. We decided to explore doing it ourselves because we thought it made sense to see whether we could do it internally. And we decided to explore another vendor because they've also got a good relationship with the bank, let's say the organisation. So you might explain why each one of those three is something worth considering. And then in the next, limb of the the story in that minor premise piece, you say, however, we think um, vendor X is, is the best way to go. And then underneath that, you'd be running through your criteria as to why you think that is the best way to go and saying why they're good and why the other ones are not going to be so fit for purpose. And so by the end of that one, you'd want your audience to be in a place going, okay, that makes terrific sense. I've been able to discuss with you the pros and cons of these. I understand your thinking. I agree with you. So, okay, we should get vendor vendor X. How do we do that? And then they'd be ready to hear from you, the set of steps that um, mm-hmm. are there. And in fact, this is something that, um, you know, business leaders often talk to us about, about the lack of reasoning that people put forward. They very often mm-hmm. go straight to, and you asked earlier about what, what some of the challenges that I see um, consultants and, and others experiencing. And one of those would be the lack of why. All right. And, um, you know, not building the case, just saying, Hey, yeah. we should have vendor X and, and here's how we should do it.
1: Well, That's just your opinion or? Yeah. You just like the guy over there, yeah. at vendor X, you think he's funny? Yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> well, what are you working with there? Yeah. He's yeah. your brother-in-law. Uh-huh. I mean, why? Uh-huh. Why?
2: Um, why do it? And I think part of that comes from all of us when we're working on something, we've got to a certain point in our thinking and our work. So, Somebody's gone through the process, they've analyzed their options, they've thought about it carefully, they've made a decision that they believe is the right thing. And so, in their mind, they're ready to say, Look, let's just go. We're ready. I'm impatient. I, I want to get this thing done. And they just forget that the audience is in a different place. And that's why, you know, in our process, we really encourage people to drill into their purpose and their audience because it could be that when communicating something like that actually you've got to come to the leadership group a couple of times if it's a really big spend mm-hmm. you've got to take them on a journey and so you've got to be really aware of where the audience is on that you know do they just need to agree with you that these are the right things to explore because actually in your situation analyzing all the options is a big piece of work and if you do that mm. that means you're not doing something else so maybe the, because of the amount of time that's required they want you to actually come to them and say look we think this project's worth investigating or these options are worth considering right do you agree they're the right options great you agree they're the right options we'll go away we'll you know do our analysis and spend a month doing the analysis or, or whatever's involved so you know, that design your strategy piece is really important in that regard.
1: Certainly, and it's interesting as you convey, like that's sort of what we want them to take away. It's like, wow, you've really thought this through. You've done your homework, you've done the research, the investigation, the analysis. And it's funny, as I'm imagining you telling this story with slides, it's like, I would love to see, I don't know, like a funnel or something, which is just like, hey, you know what? We looked at 34 potential vendors like, oh, damn, that's a lot of potential (laughs) vendors, you know, and we subjected them to these five key criteria and really only two are worth looking at any further. It's like, all right, I'm convinced you've done some legwork and Mm. uh, now I'm intrigued. Tell me about these two vendors that are pushing all the right buttons.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you would use a very different structure for your story when you go into that initial conversation about, hey, let's, let's explore these options versus let's implement. You know, the, the recommendations. So that's where the patterns come into play too. And, um, we've put them on a handy little card actually where we've got the seven and it's on the centerfold in the book so that you can see them all on the one page. Mm -hmm. And what we find people doing is, um, just okay, knowing they've got to do a piece of communication that matters enough to really think hard about it. And then, you know, open it up and just, look at the different options, just looking at the patterns, I think, helps them say, well, it could be that or it could be that. And it gives them a place to start. And it also mm-hmm. helps frame their thinking. So, you know, it's like that that situation I relayed where we came up with the name, so what, you know, so what, it, it, what does this mean? You don't want to be in a position where you are um, being picked apart by right. your audience. So, mm-hmm. when when you're presenting something that matters, to someone more senior, you, the last thing I think you want is to have your proposition pulled apart and to be asked to go away because your thinking isn't strong enough. Yeah. So the patterns provide you with a little bit of a framework too, to help you think, well, actually, have I thought this through enough? Have I articulated this well enough? If, if you work through the 10 points in the test, it's a really good set of thinking tests to say, are my ideas messy? That's a term that I think you'd be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Ex-consultants are really familiar with this idea of are there any overlaps or any gaps? And is this a complete set of ideas? Have I organized them well? And if you apply that test really thoroughly, then all sorts of things pop out. It was like, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? I've got actions and reasons in the one list, bad thing. You know, they're different. How do I fix that? What do I move? Do I change my message? Do I move things around? And um you can imagine like, you know, sticky notes on a wall or something. And I see my clients do this where you put all your messages out and you sort them all around and move them about until they're in the right spot. So um the, the patterns give you a bit of a framework for testing your thinking so you don't get caught out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so you mentioned 10 tests for thinking that say, have mm-hmm. I done it thoroughly enough? So could you share a couple more with us that tend to frequently yield insight?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, we talked earlier about having a single question that overarches mm-hmm. the whole story and leads, draws your audience in. Um, so if we were to drill into that one particular thing, you'd want that question, which often doesn't appear in the communication, it appears in your preparation to be the audience's question, not yours, which makes mm-hmm. a very big difference to the story that comes underneath. Um, you want it to be one single question. So what does that mean? Well, if you've got the word and in it, is a red flag, is it really a single idea? So being very precise about, is it the audience's question? Is it the single question we want them to ask us? Is it a single question? is it really just one or is it a long set of words with a question mark at the end that's really mm-hmm. an amalgamation of a whole lot of different things you know is is it really just one have we distilled and have we distilled the highest level question that we can then answer in a single sentence that will frame the whole story not just part of it but all of it um yeah. so getting quite quite disciplined about that it pushes the thinking and I don't know about you, but when I um, started working in this environment, I came from a creative environment. You know, I was an, a kindergarten art teacher of all things. I suspect I'm the only kindergarten teacher ever to be hired by McKinsey, but I stand to be corrected. Mm-hmm. I'd like to meet you if there's someone else who's also had that path. Um, so I learned about communicating in a fairly creative way. So, I learned from an Australian children's author, a woman called Mem Fox, who has written the most stunning children's books. I don't know if you have children or not, but if you do, Hunt Down um, Possum Magic and Wilfred Gordon, MacDonald Partridge. They're two really beautiful children's books. And she's a beautiful writer. And she taught a really creative way of finding the hook and Building a story, which was part of what inspired me to transition from teaching into communication. And, um, that sort of the, the message of finding the hook is absolutely relevant, but using structure and, um, discipline is, is a quite a different thing. And certainly when I started using it, um, I felt it found it quite confining. Like there are all these rules mm-hmm. and, Oh gosh, you know, do I have to obey all of them? You know, that, that seems a little bit hard and, and just feels like I've been put in some sort of box. But what I've learned is, you know, by way of that example around the question is there's, there's such enormous value in constraints and how they, they push you to think and push you to be creative. So, you know, creative, the, the creative part of me really rebelled against the structure for quite some time. But once, once I came to see how liberating it was to actually have a framework to use and, and how much it pushed me to think and come up with clever solutions, um, I thought it started to be fun, actually.
1: Cool. All right. Well, so let's have some fun talking about some of these other storyline patterns. So we talked about to be or not to be. Mm-hmm. Could you give us maybe the one minute or less version mm-hmm. of how would you define each of these storyline patterns?
2: How would I define them?
1: Yeah, like Action Jackson. What,
2: what is that? Yeah, Action Jackson. That's an action plan. So it's where you have an overall idea and then a set of steps that you're going to take. So when you're going to have your stand up in the morning with your team and you're saying, hey, team, here's what we're going to do today when it's not controversial, Action Jackson's the one to use. Mm-hmm. So a list of two to five actions that need to be done that are tied together with one overall message.
1: All right. And close the gap
2: close the gap, that's a fantastic one when you need to help people think differently about something. So it's a deductive structure. So it's got a similar overall archetype to the to be or not to be that we talked about before. And that's for going to a situation where you need to educate your audience about how something works, perhaps in the new world perhaps some regulations Mm. have changed or the environment's changed. There's something they don't know that you need them to understand before they can accept your recommendations. So maybe success requires us to meet these criteria. However, we only meet some of them. So we've got to close the gap. We've got to meet the rest.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like it, I like it. And the Houston, we have a problem.
2: Oh, this one is Jared's favorite. And he particularly loved working with a whole lot of bankers in Houston last year. Oh. Um, teaching, they, they really loved that it was named after them. This is Houston, we have a problem. And let me first begin with where not to use Houston. When you're communicating with someone who created the problem, find oh, yeah. another way to tell the story. Just, just saying. Um, so this one is fantastic when you need to um, educate your audience about the nature of a problem that exists. And so, you know, hey, people here, this is a real problem and, you know, convince them that it's a problem. However, we've found the cause. So, and then you can talk through what caused Mm, the problem. Therefore, let's fix the cause. So it's a really proactive story. Okay. And the pitch the pitch. This one is fantastic for proposals and, and business cases too, where you're putting forward um, a pitch to say, hey, here's a great idea that you should implement, you should hire us if you're a consultant, or you should, you know, implement this new system or do this this way. And then what you're doing underneath that is coming up with a list of reasons why that's a really great thing to do. And so in, in the book, we talk about four reasons, which I'll quickly run through, because I think they're useful for people. Firstly, we understand the problem. Secondly, we've got a great solution. Thirdly, we can deliver a, res- you know, a solution to it, a result that's talking about why you're the right people. And then you can manage the risks because it's always important to cover off on, on that. So, um, that's a brilliant one for a classic consulting pitch, but also for recommending something that ought to be done. Okay. And how about the traffic light? Traffic light's brilliant for updates. So I think that's a really common one. And it's, it's really tempting for people to say, Hey, we've been really busy. Here's a long list of stuff we've done. And, um, leaders that I talk to really dislike that. So using traffic light gives mm-hmm. you a way of, of pretty simply grouping and sorting the ideas so that you can come up with an overall message and um it, you know for example if if it's good news overall we're on track great why is that well we've done all these things we've started this and we've got a plan for these and you know when when um someone goes in to put an up put forward an update let's say and they they're talking to their boss you know the bosses will say to me look I love hearing what's going on in my teams. I know they want lots of airtime because they really want me to know exactly what's going on in, in their world. But there are times when I just haven't got time for that. If they can come in with that single message, everything's really good. They'll just say, thank you so much, love your work, see you later. And mm-hmm. there are it by organizing the ideas into a structure like that, you have the freedom so that when your audience doesn't have time to hear the whole story, you can still get that big idea across. Whereas if you haven't distilled the messages, you know, you know the classic thing where you're given half an hour or an hour to present and, um, you know, you're a part of one of those revolving door days, maybe a steering committee sort of um, day or a board day or something like that. And, um, you know, person one comes in and then person two and person three and all these different people come in and present to a group. Uh-huh. And so during the day, the time gets lost. And so you perhaps thought you had 45 minutes, suddenly you've got five minutes. So by having everything mapped out in a structure with a hierarchy like that, you can still get away with presenting because you've got the ideas. You don't need to take them through all of the detail before you get to the big point.
1: Mm -hmm. And the watch out story.
2: Watch out, story. This one is fantastic when there is trouble ahead. So you can imagine a ship sailing towards some rocks and people need to know where the rocks are. But at the same time, it gives you an opportunity to give the the good news first, which is always nice. If you can genuinely give good news first, you want to do that. So, you know, we've been going really well. However, there are some risks ahead. Therefore, we should meet those risks. We should change course or do whatever we need to do to address those.
1: Okay. Well, so that's helpful as I'm sort of thinking about each of these, and I'd love to get your view. Could you maybe share an exciting case study or story of someone who put all this together and saw a cool result that they weren't seeing when they weren't doing this?
2: Sure. Sure. So I was working with an infrastructure company toward the end of last year and um, I'd worked with them for about a year. So I'd been over and run a program and then come back a year later. And that's a really nice thing to do in my world because we don't always get to see the outcomes. We um, Sometimes people will tell us or they'll just say that was great, but they won't necessarily give us the concrete results. So in this case, I was working with a group of people for the second time just to give them a refresher. And um, a woman called Rebecca came in and said, you know, we said, how's it all been going? and she said well you know by changing you know preparing the board papers that we need to prepare and we do them every month for our area and they're about um leasing um and finding opportunities retail opportunities in in an airport and so um she she'd been preparing papers which might say we should do a deal with this sort of Retailer, so that they should come and have shops in our airport or that sort of thing. And um, the team had been spending a lot of time preparing their reports, um, but making that single change, which was to prepare a story using the one pager, get the one pager right, check it, test it first, and then prepare the paper later. Um, by doing that, she said to me, they cut the amount of time taken to prepare those papers by sixty percent. That's six you zero. Go. So. That was pretty exciting. Now, during that 12 months, she'd used a number of different stories, but um, the pitch, I think, was her favorite um, uh-huh. because she was often putting up a story that would say something like that was pretty straightforward that was something like, um, you know, we should get this book retailer in. Into our, um, our buildings. And well, why is that? Well, you know, they understand our business. Um, they've got a great fit for our, the people who travel through our spaces. Um, you know, not we can do it, they can deliver. And, you know, we can manage the risks involved with bringing them in. So, you know, that was a really helpful one for her. Uh-huh.
1: Well, so that is really cool. And I love saving 60% of time on doing anything. So that is cool. Which
2: well, it just stops you doing the boring stuff, the frustrating oh, stuff. Certainly. I think that's, the, that's yeah. the thing that I like because it makes you feel so much better about your job.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think maybe one of my last questions here is when we talk about sort of the supporting reasons and evidence, mm-hmm. I think often I see a big difference between how smart I judge someone to be, fair or unfair, I don't know, if they give me Excellent evidence versus not excellent evidence. So for example, I was looking at like an insurance policy, and I said, wait a second, in this language, it kind of makes it sound like you could weasel out of anything because anything could be an alleged breach of an implied contract. Like, isn't that anything in the world? Mm -hmm. So, like, and then they say, Well, um, and their response was, Oh, no one's ever raised that before. It's like, well, that's not compelling evidence that you pay out claims. You're not gonna leave me in high and dry. Or they'll say, Well, hey, we have a great financial rating. I was like, Well that's just about your assets versus your liabilities. It doesn't have anything to do with customer satisfaction or your actual record. And so I was like trying to help them out. I was like, I'm trying to give you money. I want this insurance. Like, could you show me this or this or this? Mm -mm 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 -mm. And I had to find for myself, like how they were rated by the national or North American insurance something organization. It's like, oh, okay. So, you know, you actually have fewer complaints than others. So that's not bad. Anyway, so I don't know, that's my rant. It's like, um, I ask a question and instead of getting excellent evidence, I get sort of wimpy evidence. So what, <laughs> what makes the difference? And how, how could we give awesome supporting reasons?
2: Yeah. I think, um, the key is to keep asking a question. So if you have a list of reasons, so let's take your example about, um, insurance. Um, how do you do that? So firstly, look at an idea that you're putting up, you know, we provide storm insurance. Okay, well, how do you provide storm insurance? Ask yourself a question that that naturally poses and then answer it. And then if you build it out like a tree, it's easy to see what sits where underneath. So we provide storm insurance, storm insurance, very relevant in Australia at the moment. Well, how do you do that? Well, we offer this kind and that kind and that kind. Well, okay, so within the first one that you've mentioned, how do you do that? So you keep drilling in one question at a time, one cluster at a time, and um, just make sure there's um, stuff that really belongs there that genuinely answers that sub-question. So you've got a hierarchy and, and you keep going down. Um, don't stick with the platitudes. Make sure you do dig and make sure that yeah. the idea at the top doesn't just say we provide storm insurance, but we provide this kind of storm insurance to this kind of people. Make sure those messages are really specific.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's probably the name of the game is to like stop and spend some time and think about it. Because as I was going back and forth with this insurance broker, you know, hey, nice job. He was fast and responding to those emails and gave me like a sentence or two. Uh-huh. But it's like, yeah, but that's not really what I want. So exactly, I went with a different insurer. Wah, wah. That's what's at stake.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I had the very same conversation with my insurance provider yesterday, and I went and got another quote. So I'm completely uh, yeah. on the same page as you there. But um, I think being specific, you know, but also, you know, your point there about avoiding, and I see this, this being a real challenge in corporates now where Slack and these messaging services mm. are being used a lot. It's, it's this constant flick, 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 flick rather than hang on, stop a sec. What are they really asking here? What's, what's at the heart of that question? Why are they really asking that? And if you can think, put yourself in their shoes just for a moment, say, actually, I know they're asking that, but that's a symptom of what they really need and address what yeah. they really need while well, including the symptom, just in case you're wrong. Um, I think you know, that's, that's part of the game, isn't it? To stop these endless chains of conversation in Slack and email and, and so on that go off on tangents.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Davida, tell me anything else you wanna make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: I'd just say that um, I think people are not natural-born communicators very often. I think when they've got complex thing to say, um, actually, it, it, it is something that requires practice, but it can be done by anyone.
1: Mm-hmm. All right.
2: So the idea of being a natural-born communicator perhaps speaks a bit more to charisma and to presence than it does to um, delivering something of real value.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Well, I like the one from Picasso, which is all about the idea that you must know the rules before you can break them. Mm. And um, you think of his artwork and how, on the surface, it looks so not rule driven. It looks so random in many ways. But, um, you know, he, he absolutely understood the rules before he was breaking them so that he could make a comment with it rather than just being random.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And how about a favorite book? At the moment, I've just finished reading one called um, The Diamond Hunter. And it's by a woman called Fiona McIntosh. And it was a really beautiful story. But having said that, a business book, my latest favorite business book, is Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. And that has really changed the way I work and um, made me a lot more productive, but also a lot more focused on the things that I really enjoy. His um, concept of a freedom compass and living in the desire zone has um, made my executive assistant far busier, far more interested in her work. She's got a lot more to do. And it's certainly liberated me to do the stuff that I think is fun.
1: And a favorite tool?
2: PowerPoint. Okay. And a favorite habit? Well, I'm going to come back to what I did this morning before our call, actually, and that is to get up early and just allow the day to begin rather than being thrown into it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks They quote it back to you often?
2: You know what? It's that concept of designing the strategy. Most of the people that I work with, you know, when I see them later, they'll say um, that they now spend an awful lot more time thinking about their communication before they deliver it, and that that, although that feels a bit uncomfortable, it saves them a lot of time. So um, do that. Think first. Do that.
1: Okay. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Mm
2: -hmm. My website is clarityfirstprogram.com. So that's clarity, the word first, F-I-R-S-T, program.com.
1: And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Oh, I do. I'd encourage them to go through their emails and just pick five random ones that they've sent in the last week and read them with fresh eyes and ask themselves how quickly their audience can glean the key message. If they write a lot of papers, perhaps pick a paper instead um, and skim it. And can they get the message in less than a minute, ideally less than 30 seconds?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: See whether that can be done because in an ideal world, they will be able to.
1: All right, Davina, this has been tons of fun. I wish you lots of luck in your communication adventures.
2: Thank you so much. Lovely to talk with you. The message that
1: really resonated for me from Davina is to think first. And I think we've heard that before when we talked about how to make your charts awesome and other topics. It's it's tempting to, in a communication, whether it's a full presentation or an email or just a couple slides, a PDF, well, you get the idea. Just about anything, it's easy to just kind of dive in and you start talking, you start typing, you start making boxes and arranging them on the slide. But really, if you take a breath, if you pause, if you think, what are you really trying to convey here? Where are they coming from? And going through that three-step so what strategy makes all the difference in terms of getting your stuff on point And It's a theme that we seem to be seeing over and over again, is one thoughtful, proactive minute up front can save you many (laughs) uh, reactive, unthoughtful minutes on the back end. So good message from Davina. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F548. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. It's Rick Gillis, and he's got an interesting perspective on how to think about your contribution versus your compensation and how you might increase the both of those. Hope to catch you there, In peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation you can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the how to be awesome at your job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice.